Hey there, Sean. Hey, Pierce. How's it going? It's pretty okay. All right. That means it's time for another episode of the It's Pretty Okay podcast. Let's do it. Let's start the show. I sat in front of the ocean. I was looking for you. The sky's collapsing. All I see is blue. Okay, uh, it's just you and me this week. Uh, Max and Kevin clearly have both fallen prey to Vecna's curse. <laughs> they they have. Um, it it's also it's been a uh, since we potted last. It's been it's been a rough time um, for for a lot of folks. Uh, yes. Um, you know, it's not important if it was expected or unexpected, even though it was expected. But you know. Um, it's, it's, it's been, it's been a, a very, very difficult, definitely had a lot of conversations in my house about organizations to give to because, you know, uh, women's reproductive health and abortion rights matter in my house. And I think, you know, every, everyone else on this podcast, but, um, I think that that's been talked about at, ad, ad nauseum, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's difficult. Um. And uh, looking for some outlets to do what you can and also take some time for, for self-care has been important, I think. Yeah, agreed. And, you know, one of one of the ways uh, that a great many people have done that uh, has been by uh, shotgunning season four of Stranger Things. Yeah, and discovering the weirdness of Kate Bush, apparently. Yeah, um, I I have discovered that a lot of people that I know uh, claim to be like big Kate Bush fans, and that's uh, that's sorry, that's unfair wording because who am I to who am I to pass judgment on whether or not their fandom is sincere, but like. I don't know. We we weren't really alive when Kate Bush was uh, making music and making the music that has propagated its way back into the culture now. And so I find myself like, I don't know, looking around and be like, wait, we, we all like this song? I'm not sure I like this song. Yeah, I, the the thing is, as far as the the Venn diagram of very strange artists who hmm. who really do it for themselves and uh, recluses, um, there are two people on that list. It is Kate Bush and it is Enya, and that's the list. That's oh, that's, I was going to say Prince. Oh well, Prince would go out and tour. This is the thing about Kate okay, Bush. You're is right. Yes, Kate Bush stopped touring in 1980, save for. And I think 2014, a little, um, a, a, like a, what do you call those? Where where you do sessions, you have a residency. Mm-hmm. Um, she did a residency and I don't think it was very long. But point is, I, I think that is the thing about Stranger Things that we'll get into here is it is clearly a comfort food for a lot of people and the idea is it is set in this time before, but it is also introducing everybody to that time before as you know, one of the main characters is listening to uh, Running Up That Hill deal with God um, all the time and, and just 
speaking of self-care, someone who is is seeing the guidance counselor and everything else is going through a rough time. Interesting song to go to to feel better, but we've all been a teen before, you know? Well, yeah, I mean it's and it's fraught with with symbolism. Like we'll we'll I think we can apply a light Stranger Things season three spoiler warning at this point and say that like, you know, it's it's not a coincidence that the character who who is listening on repeat to a song about wanting to make a deal with God and swap places with someone is the character whose brother was very violently killed by some sort of interdimensional monster at the end of last season. Like, it's yeah. not, you know, it's, I, I don't who who knows if in the normal universe of mid 1980s Hawkins Indiana Max would have been a a big Kate Bush fan hard to say yeah but but it's not i think with with stuff uh, with stuff like this and and thinking back to to it being a comfort food of sorts there are different levels of authenticity that we look for in these types of um you know, nostalgic TV shows. And that's, that's what, that's what Stranger Things is. It's, it's very well, it's very well done, but the heart, you have a variety of ages of people who maybe remember the eighties or want to remember the eighties, or just want to remember what it's like to be a kid and not have, um, you know, the worries of, of today. I mean, sure. You can disengage from, uh, social media and read just a bunch of travel memoirs, which is what I've done in the last week to to feel to feel better. Um, but but it's easier to imagine that that's not even an option. That that having a Kindle is not an option. That having a a Doom device is not an option. To just like, hey, remember the time when you rode your bikes everywhere and and stuff and could listen to Kate Bush on a Walkman? Is it totally authentic? No, but it's like it's. It's part of the, it is important to the narrative of a feeling better. And, you know, it's always to the story, but I think it, it's sometimes the thing that is, um, oh, to, to think of a book, you know, the things they carried, um, and the, is that Tom O'Brien or is it Tim O'Brien? Tim O'Brien. Yeah. Tim O'Brien talks a lot about how is the story I told true or is the story I told that is lightly fictionalized more true? And I think that that's what you're, you're dealing with there. It hope it helps you process it better to have a story that has the important parts in it and is maybe mostly true, but is the truth absolutely the most important part? Yeah, that's, that is interesting. Uh, I don't know the answer to that, but it, it is unquestionable that, you know, stranger things, is at its heart a nostalgia project and and we talked uh a long a long time ago on this podcast about things being dated as opposed to say being uh a period piece Mm -hmm. you know because like on the one hand if you go by the literal definition a period piece is any you know any piece of entertainment that's set in a specific time that's not now mm-hmm. but like it also has a pretty obvious connotation of you know pride and prejudice um shirts uh, with uh, ruffles theater. yeah yeah 
so, but this is unquestionably like this whole show is meant. I mean, I really think as much as anything, as much as any of the story arcs that deal with these, you know, interdimensional horrors, like it is a show that exists to drop you feet first into the 1980s and bathe you in that time and like it it sort of makes sense for i mean really god it's it's been so long since since then that you know it's kind of perfect for it's a perfect nostalgia moment for people who are like our parents age or yeah. slightly younger Mm-hmm. Like people who were kids at that time, but you know, you and me were born several years after this show is set. And so like, it feels in some way like it, it that shouldn't work. And yet yeah, it, it does. And it, it does because I think part of it is that, the the third season of the show um what what i told you before it i will say is like all of the seasons of the show have a storyline that kind of makes me roll my eyes a little bit mm-hmm. um there's there's one that involves a lot of time in russia oddly or getting to russia more and i'm like all right is this is this fun yes but is to, what purpose does it serve and with that one uh that one's less important but i think that the the one in the previous season is a lot of time is spent in a mall and if you are someone who is between i don't know probably 70 and 10 years old and you exist in america you have some memory of a mall and our memory with a mall is is i I think is is really one of of like seeing the tail end of what what it could be and then realizing during that process of oh, we've moved away from that. I'm not really sure why. And then a couple years later, it becoming it becoming very clear. Combination of, uh, you know, moral panics in America, fear of safety for children, and then just corporate, this is what actually, you know, promotes changes. Corporations realizing this is not a good model to make a buck. But, but that show it becomes it is it is really the pivotal point of like what a mall can be and also the effect on main street and so that we have we feel like we have our own nostalgia as well as some borrowed nostalgia of of how good that can be in the same way of how good it can be to have um a place where you and your friends spend all of your time and it's someone's dingy basement basically yeah that that idea of borrowed nostalgia is kind of fascinating to me because like i am I am a person who did not spend a lot of time like I really didn't spend much time at all engaging with the mall in that kind of way where like the mall is a destination that you go with your friends Mm -hmm. and spend a bunch of time hanging out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, But like I I wonder I, I sort of think the peak like the peak age for that is like five it's like five to ten years older than us. Yeah. And, it also and, may depend a lot on geography, too. Like, if you live a more suburban life than I did, like, you 
this is probably a much bigger part of your upbringing. Yeah, and and I'm I'm glad you mentioned the suburban life because we did we did talk about ice cream trucks in a way recently and places where you could have that or, or stands for ice cream, mm-hmm. and and there is a, a a borrowed nostalgia there too because you know you didn't grow up in the the type of suburb I grew up in the type of I think we can call it maybe a traditional suburb now. Um, but when you watch this show, which is which is not set in a suburb, but is maybe closer to a suburb, um, then then it's certainly not in a big city. But there's like this, you have a, maybe a curiosity, or or maybe even someone can covet like that type of life versus living in a city or living in a re- really rural area. Um, and mm-hmm. and I think the 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 same can be. Uh, you know, just like can be said for 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 the mall or or something like that is like you have a curiosity for okay, what was that like and imagining yourself in it, not unlike uh, another bar nostalgia actually movie that I think about a lot and and I appreciate the feeling of it maybe more than the story itself is dazed and confused. I saw that for the first time probably a year or two ago, and it really moved me because I thought. There were aspects of that in in my life, but because of things like satanic panic living on the other side of that, you know, this uh, Tipper Gore and the uh, parents, what is it? The Parents Music... Uh, parents Music Resource Council, I think. Yeah, Parents Music Resource Council. Stuff like that, where it's like all of a sudden people got really concerned about the safety of their children. But I remember that the flourishes in the times where it's like, no, I actually could, you know, walk around, I could ride my bike, and people either weren't r- worried or didn't realize it was gone. And so I think that they're... Even if you didn't grow up in a suburb, even if that wasn't your exact experience, you have enough that you can kind of express a curiosity or, or covet it in a way that becomes very compelling to be like, let me immerse myself in this world. And Stranger Things is a really good swimming pool that has a lot of gradations between a deep end and and a little shallow toe area. Yeah. And I wonder if there's also an aspect of this where like, <clears throat> for for people a little younger than us, you might actually, in watching this show, be engaging with and getting an idea of what it was like when your parents were your age. Mm. You know, a, a a thing a thing that when they tell you about it, you sort of reflexively go like, "Come on, what are you talking about, you old goober?" But yeah. then. But then award-winning television show makers make a whole show about it and you go, oh, wait, no, there were malls. Yeah. And the, the irony of like, you know, here you have this this teen um, kind of criticizing you for, for being weird or whatever. And they have wholesale like taken the the clothing and, and are listening to Kate Bush from the show about the time period you're growing up. Um, I don't know if there's been an uptick in, in people um, playing Dungeons and Dragons, but I'm sure there is it, that is going on. But it's like an ironic thing of like, oh, I'm, I'm playing this game that those old fogies played. I mean, they brought Abercrombie back. Oh, well, that's this is, like yeah. this is this is the generation that has sort of revived Abercrombie and Fitch. Yeah, I I mean, it's it's a little bit before our time. I, I don't know when it fits perfectly, but 
someone's going to watch Freaks and Geeks again soon and we're going to be like, all right, it's it's getting very close to to our our time frame time frame now. Um oh, no. You know, just in terms of like you end up you are appreciating, yep, that was me or cringing at it, maybe you are. And then you're you're looking in the mirror and then you see in the mirror that there are people standing behind you uh, agape because this is the first time they're they're getting to experience it in a way that that resonates and I, I think maybe that's the the most important thing about this is it's not just this this borrowed nostalgia I feel like there are horror movies all the time that try to mimic the 80s-ness I mean one that we really like um, the podcast is it follows but that movie is not about feeling like the 80s it well it is about it looks like the 80s it has it has certain aspects of that as they they watch all this stuff on 30 year old tvs for no mm-hmm. particular reason but it's never explained so you don't you don't it's that is not a narrative point whereas here it it is and it does a really good job of that resonating with with people because i think it i think it can be really hard to get different time periods to resonate with with people um I'm sure if we put on all the president's men right now, it would probably feel that way. But it was done um, at, at that time. It really wasn't it wasn't a period piece. Whereas we would be like, oh, I understand. Or any Gene Hackman movies from that time period, you would understand like, yes, the paranoia and the concern who is listening, what is really going on, the conspiratorial nature. But that was made in that moment, which is the the moment we were all feeling, which is this is using a period not too long after that as a narrative device. And it makes sense to everybody. So here's here's an interesting thing that I sort of just popped into my brain. Stranger Things is in many ways, it's like the second piece of sort of prestige entertainment in the last decade or so. That was designed to immerse you in the 80s. The other being, of course, the Americans. Oh, yes, yes. And I was, yeah, and I'm, but the Americans in some way, and I'm glad you said prestige because I haven't thought about Stranger Things as prestige before. It's really well produced. It's beautifully done. It's extremely well cast, but it's not. Well, here's the thing with that. Who who is the intended audience for Stranger Things? Because the Americans is an adult show. I don't. It's not. It's not a like after 10 p.m. adult show, but it is an adult program. Um, whereas Stranger Things, it's kids. So. Is it for kids or is it just kids are the way we're expressing these ideas? So, okay. So this is exactly what I wanted to get at. The Americans was set in the 80s and the the design of the show and all of the cultural references and, and the context of the lives that those characters led was a wash in the 80s. Mm-hmm. But it was like it was never nearly as popular as you know I think either of us would have liked for it to be, and certainly not as 
not as popular as it was good, if that makes sense. And so, like, in some ways, I, I almost wonder if the Duffer brothers watched the Americans and had even a fleeting thought of, like, what if we do this but try to make it a hit instead? Mm-hmm. Well, and this reminds me of, uh, you know, speaking of, of period pieces that have, uh, you know, very popular television shows the last 20 years. I mean, one thing that Matthew Weiner would always say about Mad Men is actually the perspective you have is the perspective of the kids, is the perspective of of Sally. Like, that's one thing that he wanted to make. And so, which which you take some time to think about. And it's like, if you start saying that, then this is a very serious television program. And and that's the thing about the American suit. It's a very serious, like this is, this is art. And that's not to say that um, stranger things is anything less than, than art, but the point of view you get in the Americans is very much an adult of the eighties, you know, very much an adult who is afraid of the Russians and what we're doing and spies and everything else. Whereas the point of view of the Stranger Things is I am a kid in the 80s in a lot of ways, not not wholesale, but in a lot of ways, I'm a kid only, as we see again and again in the show, only someone who has the imagination and has the touch points of a kid can even fathom what is going on, can even accept what is going on, who who is not uh, maybe so jaded by by some of the things. I, I think that that comes up a lot. So it's a very fantastical show in that way. And that takes away from from, you know, some of the serious elements that can cause some drudgery in, in other shows, I think. But that's, you know, it's it's a horror fantasy type show. Yeah, it's it's not meant, you know, it's not meant to be like a an unflinchingly accurate depiction of what the lives of two Russian sleeper agents w- would be like. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, that point about Mad Men is intriguing to me because I, I don't, I don't think you experience that show through the point of view of the kids at all. Um, you know, I think the only, and maybe this is a question of like how you determine what point of view is meant to be the audience's point of view. But like, I don't see how it could be anyone's except Don's or Peggy's. I'm, I'm not here to, to call basically the author of a program a liar, but I understand what you're saying. Um, I I'm not calling him a liar. I just think yeah. he might be wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah. Wrong liar. I, I kind of put them the, the same. It is something that was important to him though, having that, that point of view. And I think you, you do, do get it. Sometimes. I think you get pieces. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. You do get pieces of it. You get pieces of the kids, like really Sally, like learning that her dad's kind of a bad guy. Yeah. And, and this, you know, she is a piece of it and there are different ones. Whereas I do think that stranger things and certainly compared to it's more or less all adults all the time, uh, in, in the Americans with stranger things, it is like, Hey, how, how as a, as a kid, as a teen, am I experiencing the, the eighties, the, 
the things, the fear of the Russians are on the periphery. We do have relationships of adult with another adult, but it is often through the filter of like, how do we provide for our, our children? You know, the children are, are the most important thing and truly are, are the, the future. And I think that's another aspect that makes the show interesting is when you look at these kids and, and watch them grow up and see the influences they have and everything else, I think whatever age you are, you can think about, oh, maybe you're thinking about, oh, I'm that person right now because you're young. Or you're someone who is is our age and you can be like, oh, I remember how moments like that um, affected me. And then if you're of an age and you're older, it's like, I remember those exact things impacting me and making me who I am today. And and to to bring it around full circle and, and maybe put a bow on it, like that is the power of putting the kids at the center of this show because even though it is very much a period piece that is set in a small town in Indiana in the 1980s, like many things about being a, a child and, and being in that adolescent phase of your life are universal and have been since time immemorial and will be for time immemorial no matter what you think and so that like that that kid that thinks their parent is a goober and was always a goober like you know maybe maybe this is a window for them to better understand like no this is actually thing lots of things about being a kid are really and truly you know universal and translate across time and place yeah no i i think that that's that's absolutely right um and and you know how i know that it's true is because netflix has figured out how to really monetize that which what is special about this season number four they've split it not not even into two parts. They split it into a season and a season finale and uh, very cleverly structured the release calendar such that, uh, you know, if you are watching these things as they come out, you are guaranteed to have to pay for at least two months of Netflix service instead mm-hmm. of just one. Yeah, so I don't know if we are moving from the Main Street shop to the mall or the mall to something else, but but Netflix is realizing that the original iteration of the streaming kind of model needs to be tweaked a little bit if they're going to continue to make that sweet, sweet dollar. Hooray. Yeah. Yes, Netflix is definitely star court. Yeah. So, all right. Well, that was uh, that was fun, but you know what would be even more fun? an apology it's time for pierce is sorry yeah so i don't know if are you familiar with with thrive market i'm sure you get ads for it all the time or or maybe somewhat i have heard of it we have talked about it i have it's one of those things where i i keep saying like oh, i'll try that out sometime i have never tried it but i am familiar 
they they deliver groceries they they get you a discount they're a disruptor they don't in that they don't have stores but you get stuff you get stuff that is thoughtful and non-gmo and organic mm-hmm. and so on and so forth and and they send you boxes and the people who pack the boxes their names are signed on there and everything is recyclable and everything else okay so they what's important is that they have their normal grocery um, stuff and then they have frozen stuff and this past weekend they had a sale on frozen stuff which is important it's also a company that i know is just dying to go public because some of these deals and stuff will quickly go away when they they go public such as the nature of disruptors and everything one of the things they do is that they constantly are offering free quote-unquote gifts something usually less than 15 dollars in value you look at a list of available gifts and you can be like, yeah, I want that. Or you don't have to, but you know, you select it and then you'll get whatever that is. Maybe it's some granite cleaner or something like that. And then they just send it in the box along with everything else. Fine. So as I said, I got a frozen order this past weekend. I complete the order and you know, you hope that this stuff comes all in one package at once and, and because they're offering you free shipping, but they say that they're something something neutral and, and everything is recyclable and, and they're trying not to disrupt the earth too much. Well, I got a box today. It was a very small box and it is not something I ordered because I ordered frozen goods. I got a regular grocery good. So I'm apologizing to the planet this week and, and really, it's Thrive Market's fault, but it's my fault for not realizing that, that I still had that selected. But while I ordered frozen meat that has yet to be delivered, I got a separate box that had to be shipped in a separate truck, which, you know, not very climate neutral, mm-hmm. of one singular can of pureed pumpkin. So in the fall, when oh I use that God. pumpkin for something, I will remember how much I polluted the earth because I forgot to uncheck the free gift that I absolutely did not need um, as part of an order of otherwise frozen goods. And the most offensive part is that that can of pumpkin at your local grocery store was probably like 219 at most yeah uh, they're probably giving it away right now because they want to use the shelf space for for something else yeah amazing <laughs> yeah i i felt i felt really bad when i realized it was in the order i'm like i like ordering from this place because i think they are genuine about caring and then both of us forgot that like thrive market and me both of us <laughs> forgot that like this does not fit with that i love it okay uh, well, let's let's do a big idea from pop culture, and uh, Pierce, you you talked about Stranger Things as a sort of comfort food earlier, and that is uh, <laughs> it's fitting uh, because I was listening to some episodes of a podcast called Setting the Table, which is a show about black food ways hosted by. Uh, a writer named Deb Freeman, who refers to herself in her Twitter bio as a food anthropologist. Oh. and Which is an awesome job description, mm-hmm. and I would like to do that. Uh, but there, in particular, was an episode about barbecue. 
And the the reason that that episode was so compelling is that she brought on multiple uh, sort of barbecue and food history experts who are able to make a fairly compelling historical case that what has become known as Carolina barbecue, mm -hmm. particularly uh, a specific subset of like Western North Carolina barbecue that does a lot of like whole hog cooking yeah. was actually developed several decades earlier in Virginia. That's oh. right. It's Virginia barbecue motherfuckers. They've just got better marketing down South. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's just like when they, when they refer to them as Maryland crabs, I'm like, it's from the Chesapeake Bay, which is a shared body of water, but <laughs> fine. If that's all you've got, which I think Western North Carolina is in a similar boat. If that's all you've got, fine. Virginia has has plenty. We've got Maryland trying to take stuff from us. I don't even live there anymore, but I can say that. We've got Maryland trying to take stuff from us. We've got North Carolina t trying to take stuff from us. But at the end of the day, still, no one takes you seriously. And that's on you. That's that's on you. <laughs> all right. Uh, we'll, we'll close the show with a Rolling Stone rock trivia question because we don't stop doing that just because there's only one person here. So, Pierce, in 1976, Bob Dylan released Hurricane, a protest yes. anthem about Reuben Hurricane Carter, a boxer wrongly imprisoned for murder. For a long time. When... Did Reuben Carter finally get out of prison? Was it A, 1985, B, 1994, C, 2001, or D, trick question, he is still incarcerated for that murder? Uh, I know there was a movie. I actually am not sure if he ever, if he's ever been released from prison, but I'm going to say... I'm going to say 1994 because I think he eventually got released. That is incorrect. Oh, no. <laughs> so the song, the 1976 song, actually led to a retrial for Reuben Carter. Okay. At which he was convicted a second time. Ah. That conviction was overturned in 1985. Okay. Wow. Uh, and D was incorrect because he uh, he left this earth in 2014. So, okay. Uh, good. Good that uh, he, you know, he finally got out. Not a not a a day too soon. Yeah. You know the to to really come full circle in this episode, um, the American justice system is is really really irritating and uh I, I don't i don't have an answer for it it's it's just really really irritating so uh you know sometimes the best we can do is is care for one another and uh that's that's really feels lame to say because that's that's inadequate but like 
Yeah. Yeah. Empathy. Empathy is good. It is very frustrating to to see a system that often seems like it doesn't move in the face of fairly overwhelming evidence and yet does move in the face of uh, a song in which we all just kind of let slide that Bob Dylan sings the N-word a bunch of times. Oh, Well, I say a bunch. I mean, any number would be a bunch for Bob Dylan, a white man from Minnesota. Uh, But it's like, you know, it's a seven and a half minute song. There's a couple in there. It's not good. Not good. So, yeah, on that uplifting note, uh, it's that's the end of the show. You can find us at our home on the web, www.prettyokpod.com. Or you can subscribe to the show feed on your podcast app of choice. Uh, we'll be back next week to talk about something else. Until then, I'm Sean. I'm Pierce. Thanks for listening. Bye. Everybody says that they-